Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey, welcome to a brand new MMA Roasted Podcast. Me, Adam Hunter, here with Tyler Smith and the man, the myth, the legend, Nate Quarry. Uh, This is awesome. I got my daughter with me. Um, She's not sleeping today, so I don't know what's going on. There might be uh, alphabet stuff. She says hi. Say hi. This might be alphabet stuff in the backwards. Uh, in the background, I want to thank Speedweed. Listen, marijuana is legal in California. Get it delivered right to your house. Um, don't leave. It's a quarantine out there. It's rough out there. They will come right to you and give you whatever you want. But uh, first, let's talk to our, our man, Nate Quarry. How are you doing with this quarantine? Uh, you know, I think I'm kind of lucky. I love my wife. I don't mind spending time around her, so that's a good thing. Yeah. And we, we're kind of living in the, the best of times, the worst of times right now because we have a four-month-old baby. So we get to spend 24 hours a day with him and all that good stuff. But the bad news is we get to spend 24 hours a day with him and all that <laughs> stuff. So yeah. it's well, good. At, at least you can't walk. I mean, my two-year-old walks and walks everywhere. Like, I look this way. She's, like, jumping off the, the wind, out of the window. She's anything. She's taking pills and, like – Trying to get in the pool. Yeah. So at least a four-month-old can't move, right? Yeah, the the hard thing about him is he wants to crawl so badly. He'll be laying on his stomach, look like he's doing the breaststroke, just screaming because he wants to get places. I'm like, son, wait, give us some time here. And you have an older daughter, right? Yeah, 20 years old. I spaced them out so I could hopefully make all the mistakes on the first one. I'm like, good God, what was I thinking? I'm, I'm too old for this the shit. Whole cycle. And then like, all right, now for the real, now for the real stuff. <laughs> wow. Um, now I was, I was reading about you, man. You have such a crazy life. Like, like you're a very, you, I don't know if you downplay it or you're such a nice guy that people overlook how disturbed your life is. Um, but <laughs> wow. I mean, you started off as a Jehovah witness and, and you were basically in, in like a cult. You were in a cult. I mean, oh yeah. According to you, you're in a cult. Will yep. you tell me about that a little bit? Dude, same, bro. Really? Not to witness. I was a, a evangelical, but I'm right. I I got gotcha. you. I feel. It's it's so nutty. Uh, yes, my dad converted. My mother and father converted before I was born. So I was raised a Jehovah's Witness. In it for the first 20, 22 years of my life, something like that, and they control everything what music you can listen to, what movies you can watch, TV you can watch, friends you can have, jobs you can work at, relatives you can associate with. I haven't seen my mother in, I think, nine years, eight, nine years. They're still Uh, in it? uh, My father passed away 18 years ago this year. My mother's still alive. She's in it. I have three siblings. My oldest sister, 10 years older than me, she's still in it. I don't even remember the last time I saw her or talked to her. My brother 
and the sister, the other sister, uh, it, it, it's, <clears throat> it screws people up. It, it messes them up really badly. And so I've tried to have relationships with them, but it's, it's tough. It's, what's great now is being with my wife, I get to see how a normal family reacts and this thing called unconditional love where your kids can do stuff you may not necessarily like or agree with, but you still love them. You don't disown them, kick them out of the house. And, and I think people, if you haven't really lived that situation, it's kind of difficult to comprehend because as a kid, your parents are your God. Whatever you do, they're there to pick you up, to help educate you, put you on the right path. Knowing I'm going to go out and try this venture. Maybe I fall on my face, but my folks will be there. I always have a place to stay. When you're raising something like this, you don't have that. And yeah, one of the, the saddest stories of the whole thing is my old coach, Robert Faultless. And we were best friends for about 10 years. Wow. Just could no longer take it. It got to him. He committed suicide a couple of Christmases ago. It's, Damn, it's devastating to people that have to go through this. He was also a Jehovah's Witness, Robert Faultless was? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. His parents disowned him. Uh, and <clears throat> so Robert had a brother who committed suicide a few years before him. His brother was still a Jehovah's Witness, but hated it, didn't want to be it, but had no other life. Imagine you're 45 years old and all you've ever known is this cult, this religion. You're, you're, if you want to leave, you're kicked out onto the street with no friends, no, no family, nothing. And you're trying to figure out basic human interactions. Yeah. One of my coaches <laughs> told me, one time, I think about 10 years ago, he goes, man, you're pretty smart with some things, but I just can't, I, I couldn't figure out why you had so many difficulties with like relationships with women and stuff like that. And he goes, I, I figured it out. You didn't start dating until you're in your like 30s. So yeah. all the mistakes that we made when we were 15 and 16, you're making those now against yeah. grown adult women. This is bad, man. This is bad. I'm literally going through that right now. I had that com that conversation with my girlfriend three days ago, where I'm wow. like, "Look, wow. like you have to remember, like I didn't do any of this in high school. Like yeah. I'm, I'm I'm figuring it. I'm 33 now, and I probably got out of it when I was like 26, 27. But it was like, fuck, like you met me. I might as well have been three years old." When you by the way, by the way, Nate, this is Tyler. Tyler is also uh, my co-host. He's just a guy awesome. telling you this. Uh, he's yeah. also <laughs> he's also we also coach wrestling together. He's a a, a marine and an amateur fighter. So uh, awesome! I love watching you guys' wrestling. It's really oh, cool. Yeah, no, it actually makes a lot when you when you when you comment on my wrestling videos. You have no idea how much it means to me because I'm oh. like this guy had this guy fought at the highest level and he's like oh i like your wrestling videos I'm like i'm like holy shit i'm doing something right um oh man i love it because at team quest everybody everybody would assume because i came from team quest i was this great wrestler i never <laughs> wrestled didn't wrestle in school wasn't allowed to jehovah's witness thing so i start training at team quest this is how the rounds would go i'm sparring with oh i don't know dan henderson matt linland randy couture chael sonnen I, I just learned a double. I'm like, sweet. I'm going to throw my overhand right, shoot the double. They stuff me and beat the shit out of me for five minutes for attempting that shot. So what I had to develop was not getting taken down. So my takedowns are terrible, but, man, it's, it's tough to take me down. There you and, go. Now, you walked and You didn't know sports at all until 24 years no. old. And then you walk in a team class yeah. with, with Randy Couture. <laughs> How do you not quit within five minutes and run home and never do this again? 
So as, as angry as I appear on Twitter, and I am pretty angry about all the <laughs> shit that I see, I am so much happier now than I ever used to be. I was just filled with rage in the first half of my life. I was so angry about my childhood, the abuses I suffered due to the religion, the family, all that kind of nonsense. As I'm, as I'm deciding, I hate this religion. I would rather die at Armageddon is my thought than continue doing this. I see the UFC. I see Ken Shamrock and Hoist Gracie fighting, and I just went, oh, my God. And so before this, I had never even watched boxing. I thought it was too violent. I thought it was offensive. But then I see Ken Shamrock and Hoist Gracie fighting, and at the end, shaking hands, hugging one another. And I went, I, I've been lied to. This isn't violence. Violence is me getting slapped across the face. Uh, yeah. Two men signing a contract and deciding that they're going to compete. This is sports. And so I went into the kitchen, I found a phone book, uh, opened it up, and I found a place that was teaching Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Jeet Kune Do. And I called the place, the coach just happened to be there, convinced me to come down for a week of lessons. I've never really done anything to this point. Lifted weights was about it. And how, well, uh, how old are you now? I'm 24. Right. Wow. So I go in and I take an hour and a half of kickboxing and it was just whatever students were there holding basic combinations, moving around, jab, cross, type of stuff. And then we do an hour and a half of jujitsu. I get beaten up so badly, I'm sick for three days afterwards. <laughs> but as I'm leaving the gym that night, I said to myself, I'm going to keep coming back here so I can beat every one of your asses. And that's what I did. I just kept coming back over and over and over again, taking my beatings, taking whatever shots I could. Randy Couture lives a half a mile from this gym. He had just competed in the UFC. I think he won a heavyweight tournament. One of my training partners, another guy at the gym, opens up the phone book, finds Randy, calls him and says, we're right down the street from you. We're the best gym around. You should come and train with us. So Couture walks into the gym. He's training with, and this is a straight blast gym. Matt Thornton is a head coach there. So Randy starts training with us, and, and he's training a lot of places. We're definitely not his own exclusive gym. <clears throat> but I'm going, and I've been training like six months now, training with Couture. And the biggest thing was when we would be doing rounds together, we had never seen anybody that could go five whole minutes. That was insane. After a minute or two, we were exhausted. We had guys rotating in on Randy every minute to give him the juice that he needed. And I just went, oh, my God, this guy is an actual competitor. He's doing this. I took my first fight. Randy cornered me there. I won in, I think, two and a half minutes with a triangle submission. And I was – my whole thing when I started fighting was I had all this rage, but I had a huge question about myself. Am I the type of guy that will fight till I have nothing left? Or will I look for an out? Will I run away tapping on my leg? Will I cover up and, and hide? And I think so many people, men especially, they want to know the answer to that question, but they don't. They have no way of proving it to themselves, to the world. So they're the asshole at the bar looking for a fight, looking to prove to everybody how tough I am. Well, when I was a little kid, I had an experience where I got uh, kind of cut off by the waves at the coast with an older boy and the waves were going to come in and maybe sweep us out to sea. The older boy was like, wait, when the waves go out, we've got to run across the sand, get to safety. I'm five or six years old. I sit down in the sand and start crying. Well, he picks me up and, and drags me over there. And I, I think in retrospect, it probably wasn't that big of a deal, 
But for the next 20 years, I'm sitting there going, so if somebody comes up to me, wants to start some shit, am I the type of guy that will stand up and fight or will I sit down in the sand and cry? And so when I started fighting, I wanted to know the answer to that question. And it was probably five fights in before I finally figured it out. <clears throat> I fought Mike Whitehead here in Portland at the Roseland Theater where Chael still holds his uh, FCFF, his yeah. Submission Underground shows. Well, back then it was just a ring in the bar and maybe 30 people there. I'm the main event against Mike Whitehead. <clears throat> the referee and the judges were chosen out of the crowd. Oh my oh, God. I had just TKO'd <laughs> one of Whitehead's training partners a week or two before, split him wide open, hit him with a big hand. I had no idea who Whitehead was. At the time, I think he was ranked third in the nation for wrestling. Yeah. So the referee looks at him and says, are you ready? Mike says, yes, runs across the ring. The referee looks at me and says, are you ready? I go, what the fuck? Mike grabs me, <laughs> slams me down. This went on and on. I would get a triangle on him. He would shove me underneath the ropes, punch me through the ropes. The referee would stop, move us. He'd tell me to get back to the center of the ring. So I'd scramble back over to the center. He'd go, all right, Whitehead, get back down in the guard. And Whitehead would go, no. He'd go, get down in his guard. Get back in that triangle. No. And the referee would look at me and go, okay, Nate, stand up. Oh I'd go back God. to my corner. He'd look at Mike. Say, are you ready? Mike would run across the ring. <laughs> Mike would grab wow. me, slam me down. The Jeez. first round was yeah. supposed to be 15 minutes with a five-minute overtime. The timekeeper bumped the clock. We <laughs> fought for 22 minutes straight. <laughs> wow. At, as crazy as all this is, it gets better. <clears throat> so after Whitehead has run across the ring probably half a dozen times and grabbed me, finally I get my corner to yell at the referee, again, who was chosen out of the crowd, to keep Whitehead in his corner so we met in the center of the ring. <laughs> so finally we meet in the center, I'm able to sprawl. So I sprawl on him, I'm hitting him. At one point now, I'm back in his corner. I'm on his back, but he's completely flattened out. I'm hitting him in the ribs for five straight minutes. He's got his left hand on the apron of the ring. His corner is yelling at him crawl underneath the ropes, get out of the ring, get the restart. <laughs> I sit up really big and hammer him. I grab the rope. I pull him back into the ring. The referee starts yelling at me for grabbing the ropes. Oh my! But now I'm yelling at the referee, fuck you. I'm doing your goddamn job. Turn back around, hit Mike again. We keep fighting. Fast forward, I don't know, eight years from that point or something, Mike Whitehead and his did team. You win, did you win the fight? Fighting. Who hold on, <clears throat> hold on. We're at this, this random fight, and I see Mike kind of pointing at me, and, and uh, Josh Tomp Thompson uh, is there. His, his team is there, and they're pointing and kind of laughing at me. And I walk over, and I'm like, all right, guys, what's the joke? I'm not in on it. And they start laughing, and they go, you remember that time Mike was trying to crawl out of the ring, and you hit him, and then you started fighting with the referee? You knocked him out. And then you were yelling at the referee. You didn't notice. The referee didn't notice. You turned around. You hit him again, and he woke up, and you uh, kept on fighting. Uh, so go back to the live fight. Fight 22 minutes. Have a five-minute overtime. We're a wreck. I'd popped his arms a couple times. I, I separated three of his ribs. The, oh, promoter, the promoter goes to the judges and goes, uh, so who won the fight? And this is what I was told by the judges. Again, 
These were guys that came to watch the fight that were chosen to judge. <laughs> One of the judges looks at the, at the promoter and goes, I have no idea who won. I don't know if it was Mike. All the promoter heard was Mike. So he goes back into the ring and announces Mike Whitehead is the winner. Oh, my God. And I'm, like, devastated because I'm just – this is my first loss. I don't know what's going on. All I know is this is, this is a loss. I go downstairs. I'm, I'm, like, in tears because of this. I go out to say goodbye to Mike, thank him for the fight. He can't stand up. He's laying there on the ground, beaten so badly – he spent the night in the hospital, had separated three of his ribs, popped his arm. And then I find out later that he was knocked out during the fight. Uh, so I claim the W on that. Yeah, he may as well. I, I don't care. That's his choice. But I kind of like the idea of letting fight. three random guys judge, though. I think that's kind of funny. <laughs> I think that may be better, be better yeah. than Texas, actually. I mean, Good game. Fucking A, man. Uh, but yeah, I mean, wow, that's insane. But you, but I, I still can't believe you had no athletic abil ability or actually did any athletics before 24 go, and then joined and made it to the highest level. I mean, that would never happen. I don't know if it would never happen today or if you're that special of an athlete because uh, that's insane, man. That's I've been told I'm special a few times, not necessarily <laughs> in the most positive way <laughs> for me. Uh, I, I had a lot, lot to prove to myself. I, I always felt like, like I could have done more and not to get too morose, but when my father passed away uh, 18 years ago, again, I, I was excommunicated from the church, so I'm not supposed to have any contact with them. Well, in case of an emergency, my family can call me if I will come over and help them. So I get the call. So I'm 30 years old. I'm working in construction. I just quit my job because I was just... I just felt like I wanted more out of life. I'd been fighting just a little bit. I think the most I'd ever made in a fight was 500 bucks. I had a two-year-old baby. I had a mortgage. I was a single father. And I called up Robert Fallis and I said, hey, I just quit my job. I'm a full-time fighter now. Find me fights. I'm going to take a shot at this. I had $3,000 in the bank that I'd saved. And I figured we could live on $1,000 a month. And so at the worst case scenario is I pursue my dream for three months. And at the end of that, if I crash and burn, I'll go get another job. It is what it is. But at least I'll know when I'm 60, I took my shot. So I'm fighting in small shows here and there, trying to make something happen. I get a call that my father is, is dying that same year, that summer. And so that winter, I go to help kind of prepare my father for the passing and my mother and father lived three and a half hours away from me so I would go and I would stay with them uh, and essentially his bone marrow quit producing red blood cells so he was suffocating uh, just wasn't getting enough oxygen into his body and, and one of the worst times was his in the middle of the night he would wake up to try and go to the bathroom and pass out and it was literally like he'd been choked unconscious in a rear naked choke uh. Door swings open at 2 a.m. My mother screaming and crying, and I have to go in there and lift my lifeless father, essentially, put him back into bed, and then watch him come back to life as his body. You, you've seen people that come back from rear naked choke, and they're shaking. Yeah. And seeing my mother on top of him just crying and screaming, please don't leave me. And it was during this time period that I said, I, no matter what it takes, I went with him to pick up his last paycheck. He was 62, working for somebody, doing basic construction, uh, couldn't even afford to live in the house that he built with his own two hands when we were kids. And I just said, I'm, I'm not going out like that. I will do whatever it takes to pursue my dreams. And 
after being with them for three weeks, I had done everything that I really could uh, to help them. And so I had to tell my mother, I'm contracted to fight in Richmond, Virginia. I've got a title that I won over there last year. Uh, it's time for my, my, my shot to defend it. My mother, for the first time, said, well, if you said you were going to do something, you should do it. So I kissed my father goodbye, flew out to Richmond, Virginia with Randy Couture, uh, made weight on Friday, which was a nightmare in of itself because it's the middle of winter. We go to this gym to cut weight. The guy won't turn the heat on. So it's like 50 <laughs> degrees in the gym. I'm telling you, I will give you $5. Turn up the heat. <clears throat> the treadmill was so old, it didn't have a motor. It was made that way. You held onto the bar and you pushed the track with your feet. Oh my God. So I think I had six or seven pounds of cut, which usually take an hour. An hour and a half, I was at four pounds. I had to put all my wet gear back on, oh. cut some more, <clears throat> make weight. Now I'm fighting Todd Carney, who's same as same as ever, four inches taller than me, three times as many fights as I have. Now I'm rehydrating at dinner with Randy, and I get the call that my father had just passed away. Oh. And I told Randy, and, and he looked at me, and he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, if I wasn't going to fight, I should have stayed home. I knew this could happen. This is what I'm here for. I'm, I'm here to fight. So the next night, I'm, I'm standing there, and just kind of got my head down, and I'm thinking about everything, and this huge burden that I've been dealing with for the previous weeks and months, and... Randy comes up to me and goes, come on, man, give me a smile. You're, you're here to compete and have some fun. Randy and I compete completely differently. <laughs> and I just looked at him and I said, man, I am not in a good mood. And the bell rang and I ran across the ring. I threw a three count combination. They all landed. I jumped out. I saw all of his punches just whiz by me. And I had just learned about range and footwork. <laughs> and so I remember thinking, this guy doesn't know anything about range. Oh and I jumped God. in, threw my combination and jumped out. Went the third time. This time he clinched with me, and I remember thinking, you can clinch with me. That's cool. I'm not even going to fight the takedown. We got a long fight. You can go ahead if you think you can beat me on the ground. Takes me down, and he's kind of squatting above me, and I upkicked him right in the face. Nice. He still didn't move. Upkicked him a second time. Still didn't move. Didn't drop a knee. Went to upkick him a third time, and he moved his head to the side, and I locked him up in a triangle which he based up really high but he left his arm behind and i just snapped that motherfucker That's and they said they heard it from across the ring Woo. and he immediately tapped and i jumped up and just ran around the ring screaming yeah. my head off letting all this emotion up just pour out of me well this little guy walks up to the the ring after the announcements and everything and he goes hey so we're going to be doing this show called the ultimate fighter now, I'm, gonna, I'm thinking about giving you a call for it. It was Joe Silva, wow. the matchmaker okay. for the UFC. Lives in Richmond, Virginia, where I am the Excalibur middleweight champion. Wow. And so because of me prioritizing still my training, saying I was going to do what I was going to do, pursuing my dreams, and, and still at the same time being there to take care of my family, even though they disowned me, that made tough one possible for me and everything that came after it. It's, it's been I like how it's your, I like how you're up for a title. You win a championship and you find out about range the day before. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Like, that's insane. I mean, isn't that like the things you, you learn like in the first week of, of, of kickboxing or Muay Thai <laughs> boxing is man. Rain? So when I joined Straight Blast Gym, I was training with the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu expert in the entire state, Matt Thornton. He had gotten his blue belt two weeks before I joined the gym. 
now you can't throw a stone and not hit a black belt. Yeah, they're yeah. everywhere. Yeah, and and especially at Straight Blast Gym, it was really <clears throat> so level one when you're doing kickboxing, you've got another student. You're moving around, holding. Okay, jab, cross, hook, cross, jab. You're just moving. It's just so basic combinations. As soon as you get moved to level two, and it was either three months or six months, and Matt Thornton has a video of this where he takes the focus mitts and th literally throws them in the trash and says, now we're beyond that. Now we just prepare for combat. Now all we do is spar. Let's go. And he, at the time, I, th I think he's six foot eight. His weight uh, went anywhere from 225 to 265, somewhere around that, and was a decent amateur boxer. I think he boxed like 12 times, 12 fights. I know nothing. The first time that we spar, and I remember this clearly, I'm wearing a white t-shirt. Because when I looked in the mirror after a sparring, it was red. He broke my nose and I just bled everywhere. And my, my first fight nickname was the Wooden Bleeding Indian. Because I was huh. as stiff as a, wood, as, a, as a dime store Indian and I bled everywhere. Oh now, what was it like living with Koscheck and Lieben? This is not Koscheck and Lieben now. This is like they didn't even know the Ultimate Fighter was going to be what it was. It was crazy. I, I mean, what? Tell me about those two guys. It, man, think about how stupid you were when you were 21, 22 years old. I was an idiot. Yep. When I I see these loudmouth, opinionated people on Twitter or whatever, and then I I meet them in person, and I go, Oh my God, you're like two years older than my daughter. Yeah. Well, no wonder you don't have a clue what you're talking about, what you're saying. So everybody was looking at Diego like he was some kind of nut, but Lieben was just a, a year older than Diego. They're all just kids. And I think Lieben had a good saying. He goes, not every stripper is working her way through college. <laughs> and that's how it is for fighters. Not every fighter is here because they love competition. No, yeah. we're, we're, a lot of us are fighting because we had some, some shit that we needed to work through deal with get over myself included so when you lock 16 knuckleheads a type personalities in a house with no tv no music no books and all the alcohol you can drink oh my god that is a recipe for success when it comes to reality tv but you oh, yeah. seem like a pretty normal guy or normal i mean compared to those guys like were you looking at these guys like what am i doing here and like these are just different types of people than me well, like at the very first time when they had us meet uh, with Craig Pelligian and the Spike team and everything, make the final choice of who was going to be on the show, I told him from the get-go, I said, look, man, I'll fight whoever you want me to fight. I'll do whatever kind of craziness you want me to do, but I'm not going to embarrass myself. I have a little girl. I don't want her to look at this and go, Daddy, you made such a fool out of yourself. What, what do you want from me? It's like, no, I have standards. I have a way that I conduct myself. Uh, there was the day when, when Randy and Chuck picked teams and we get back to the house and none of this was, was shown on TV, I believe. <clears throat> so my team of a, a total of eight guys, we're all hanging out together. Lieben's already drinking. Stefan Bonner's already smashed. <laughs> and we're talking, okay, who's going to be the team captain? My first thought is not me. I want Alex Carolexis. He's got my vote. <clears throat> Alex Carolexis is the first one to speak up and goes, I think it should be Nate. He was the uh, one first picked by Randy. And I just go, oh, my God. Bonner stands up and goes, that's bullshit. I'm the biggest. I've been around. But he starts yelling at me. And I just look at him. And I go, Stefan, 
when you talk that loudly, I can't hear a word you say. Wow. And he just sits down, <laughs> puts his head down, it's quiet. And I looked at the team and I went, guys, I'm just like you. I'm here to win this thing and I'm going to do the best I can to win it. But I'm never going to cheat you. I'm never going to short you. If you beat me, it's, it's frankly, it's because you're better than me. So give me the best that you've got and I'll commit to giving you the best that I have. And let's do this and, and see where it goes. Right. Got it. Well, that's, now, you're, now, I think your fight with uh, Khalib Starnes, which I think was one of the funniest fights, was he, was he like social distancing early? It seemed like he wanted six feet away from you during the fight. Yeah. Well, so, so every fight, I have a story. And it's usually ridiculous. And, and I decided a long time ago, my fight, every one of my fights is going to be a highlight. Maybe not for me. But it's going to be a highlight for somebody. Rich yeah. Franklin, Jorge Rivera, Damian Maia, they got some good highlights off of me. So, so the Caleb Starnes fight. So this is now, I have just left Team Quest. I had a spinal fusion back surgery, L23. Uh, I spent the last 15 months, a year at this time, getting my body back because I had just fought for the world title. Then I needed this spinal fusion surgery left team quest, custody battle for my daughter, everything had kind of fallen apart. <clears throat> well, now I'm getting back in shape. I found a new place to train and I called Joe Silva and I say, Hey, nobody thought it was possible, Joe included, but I had my surgery and I'm ready to fight again. I want to fight Caleb Starnes. I think that'll be a good fight for me. He had just beaten Chris Lieben. I always liked fighting guys that had beaten friends of mine so I could get some payback. So Joe says, cool. I'll call Caleb. We'll set this up. Joe Silva calls me back and he goes, so Caleb won't fight you because he says you're not worthy to fight him. Oof. You had just lost your last fight, my title shot, and he had just won his controversial decision against Lieben. So he says he's not going to fight you. We want you to rematch with Pete Sell. And I went, cool. <clears throat> That's going to be a ridiculously hard fight. Pete's been training very hard for the past two years. I've been a surgery patient and recovering, but I'll fight him. I'll beat him. And then I'm going to fight Caleb Starnes and I'm going to end his fucking career. So I fight Pete Sell. He beats the shit out of me for two rounds. I knock him out in the third. That's a whole, there's a whole story in that as well, but we're sticking with Caleb. So now Joe Silva calls me and goes, you still want Caleb? Yes, I do. Cool. He's going to fight you. <clears throat> so I watch Caleb Sarn's fights. He's a bully. He can only fight moving forward. If he has the momentum, he feels like he's doing well. If yeah. you keep him going backwards, you stay in his face, he shuts down. I'm fighting him in Canada. It's the first Canadian UFC up in Montreal. And I'm sitting there in my hotel room, and I, I just said to myself, they're all going to boo me when I come out, and they're going to cheer for Caleb. But as the fight goes along, I'm going to win over every single person in that crowd. And when I do, I'm going to give the Rocky Four speech. Yeah. <laughs> so we start fighting, and I'm following my game plan. I am just chasing him down the entire time. I thought he was going to shoot more takedowns at me, but every time he did, I just slammed him with my hips, kept on going, chasing him. We get into the third round. And I'm like, man, is anyone else noticing this? <laughs> it seems like he's not engaging. Well, I'd seen another fight where the two guys, who was it? Uh, Nate Marquardt and Ivan Solivari. They were fighting on one of the cards that I fought on when I fought Pete Sell the first time. They were the main event, and Ivan Solivari wasn't engaging. 
And the whole crowd got angry and they started booing and it was the worst experience ever. So in the third round, I said to myself, you know, I can't give you what you want. I can't give you the fight you came to see, but even more than that, you want memories. You want stuff that you'll never forget. That I can do. And so the 10 second bell went off and I did my, my rock hammer. That was the bet. That was, I mean, that's like, I think every MMA fighter ever did that. And it's, <laughs> and, and it's like, it's a, it's a gift that moves on. It's still to this day, that gift is everywhere. <laughs> uh, now we got Juliana Pena before we leave. I know you got a new comic book uh, about your life, about zombie MMA fighters. I got it. Yeah. I got to hear about this. So write I want to write the usual Rocky story. It comes from rough upbringing, has a good career, wins some, lose some, blah, blah, blah. So I sat down and I wrote about my life, what I've been through, seen and done as a fighter, as a single father. And then I threw in zombies, a zombie cage fighter. If you go to zombiecagefighter.com, you can download a free PDF of the first comic book. My art team just finished the entire six-issue series that tells the entire story. We're going to do a Kickstarter or a GoFundMe here in the next few weeks because uh, printing is expensive, and I want to be able to get this out to everybody. I'm ridiculously proud of it. So everybody that goes to zombiecagefighter.com, download that comic. Give me your email so I can at least let you know when the, the rest of the series is coming out. And, dude, yeah. it's, it's amazing. I'm really happy with it. Now, do zombies take over and cage fighters fight the zombies? Or are the zombies themselves the cage fighters? Well, I'd say you have to read it. But in a nutshell, every zombie movie you ever see is always post-apocalypse. There's, there's a billion zombies and a handful of humans. Well, what happens between now and that eventual zombie takeover? It's, it's a lot like this, where people are locked down and they're trying to figure out ways to, to, to be successful. And some people start throwing these underground zombie cage fights where you take an old washed-up fighter who is willing to put his life on the line and risk it against a zombie. Maybe he can make a little bit more scratch, provide for his little girl. Huh. But if you lose, well, next week you're on the rotten side of the cage. And then you're the zombie. I love that. That's, that's amazing. I think that I'd watch that in a heartbeat. I mean, if, if Netflix had, had a show called Zombie Cage Fighters, it'd be number one on my, on my queue. <laughs> so, um, well, listen, Nate, I, I could listen to you all day. I want to have you back. This is one of my favorite interviews ever. So, so th thank you, thank Nate. You. Thank you. Any, anytime. I appreciate that. Take care, Nate. Thank you. All right. That was... Uh, that was Nate Quarry. That was awesome. Dude, he, that was like my life. That was like my, my fighting story. Just oh, really? pulled through. I mean, a lot of, a lot of similarities. Like, oh, all right, let's do fight Rick Franklin for the title. <laughs> that's basic. That's, that's my fight career. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we have uh, a girl who won the ultimate, the first female winner of the ultimate fighter. She's ranked fourth in the world, but ranked number one in my heart uh juliana pena how are you good what's going on how are you guys good is it does that say punk what's up yep that's what i'm talking about um <laughs> how are you doing during this quarantine talk, talk, talk to me i'm losing my mind you have a two -year -old. and uh you're not helping me lose my mind you owe me a bottle of wine mister you didn't get that oh no. shit oh, you know on. i was gonna ask you and i was like i hope she doesn't bring it up on the thing in case i didn't all right, <laughs> the first thing she breathes up. <laughs> I will talk to Tracy. I'll hit up Tracy today because you're the second person. But like ten people did get their wines. Just, just, just. But the fact that I, I. All right, I'll, I'll make sure you get it. No problem. Okay. So, um, how are you? No, I know that your ADHD is off the chain. 
yeah. you have to be doing 30 things at once. You're always like doing something. How is, is this affecting you right now? Um, it's, it's a lot, you know, um, I, it's really hard for me to accept. It's like really hard for me to be like, okay, this is the new norm. Like I'm going out to grocery stores, like without a mask. And then I'm like, I'm being stupid for not wearing a mask. But then I'm like, nah, it's not real. It's just a scam. So I like every day it's like a, a battle with, is this like the reality or is this just, you know, people being sheep and being, you know, um, a little, excessive but i in one aspect i feel like i have no choice but to accept it and the other aspect i'm just like i'm i'm gonna go to the store i'm gonna go to the gym and train with my training partners i'm gonna go do everything that i normally would do and and not act like this is actually really happening so it's been very hard for me to accept personally got a tattoo on your hand there (laughs) yeah i got i got tatted up um my, no, uh, nice. the only person in Chicago that's still working is the, the tattoo artist. Wait, that's oh, real? Sick. That can't be real. Is that real? Yeah. It, no. it, I got them all in one day. You're full no of way. Shit. You're full of shit. Yeah. No way. <laughs> I'm just kidding. This is how bored I am. I have zero tattoos and I ordered a bunch on Amazon and I just started going to town. <laughs> this is what you're doing? You're ordering t- fake tattoos on Amazon during the quarantine. That's, that's how I'm, uh, you know, passing the time. Dude, Good I've work. been making homemade beef jerky, so like, yeah. yeah. Well, wouldn't you rather have awesome fake tats? Yes, I, I would. Uh, me too. Me too. <laughs> no, they're only like right now. bucks on Amazon. Now your baby daddy's a cop. Is your baby daddy working right now? Uh, no, he's watching the baby. I'm not not right now, but like at night, or is he still on? Is yeah. He yep. He is. Now I heard that Chicago. I heard there are a lot. They're letting criminals out. They're not arresting people for like a lot of things that they normally would and Chicago's a pretty rough city that's where you live how is it affecting your 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 man um i think he's good i think uh he you know has like like for example he's been like sick a little bit but like i don't think like coronavirus sick i think he just had like an upset tummy and and stuff like that so but every day i'm just like don't touch the baby you know cuz he's out in the world you know dealing with this kind of stuff and i just want to try to avoid his contact with her as much as possible just in case you know i i feel like i'm being a little over the top there but i don't know maybe not now you're super i've known you for years and you're super sweet and you're loyal to the soil but you kind of have a short fuse uh, and are kind of a brat in some ways. How are you with a two-year-old? I can't imagine, like, is it a battle of, of like, wills between you and your kid? Honestly, I feel really bad because <laughs> sometimes I, like, don't know how to handle it. And I'm just like, you know, like, I, I, and then I catch myself and I'm like, I'm arguing with the two-year-old. Like, I'm, I'm fighting with the two-year-old. Like, just let her have it. You know what I mean? It's like, there's there's bigger things. Choose your battles. And so I think no, that I, that's... Look, look, I hear you right now. I mean, there's, a, you know, this... Oh, you're, she's uh, sleeping. <laughs> yeah, she's sleeping right now during the thing. Because my, 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 my wife works during the day. I'm trying to get this podcast on. But the other day, she was like, she did something where she goes, get away. You had to push me. Right. Hmm. And I was like, no, you, I'm not getting away. I, I, I pay the rent here. Like I live here. I'm telling my kid I pay the rent. Right. So then she goes, get away. <laughs> and I go, no. And then we have a standoff. We just stare at each other until the first one blinks. And she, she won. Uh, like she was like, is, is your kid as stubborn too? Good. She is so stubborn. And like her yeses are yeses and her nose are nose. And once you have like, 
she's established that boundary of yes or no. There's like no changing her mind. It's like you cannot convince her otherwise. So what I think that, yeah, exactly. So, so uh, yeah, and 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 she has <laughs> these looks. You know, like she'll she'll give me the stink eye, and I'm like. I feel like I'm looking at a miniature version of myself in her face whenever she gives me those looks. Because at first I'm like, where did she get that from? And then I'm like, she looks just like me. <laughs> it's fun when, it, like, it's weird when you look at a at a really little kid and you see the human inside of them and you're oh like, oh shit, like, <laughs> I'm influencing this right now and, like, it's biting me in the ass. You know? You're Venezuelan yeah. and Mexican, so you definitely got spanked as a kid. Uh, I got my butt kicked. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, not in a hot way, you perv. Okay, but I'm saying, are you gonna are you gonna spank your daughter or no? I mean, I've definitely slapped her hand before. Like yesterday, like I there was a bunch of folded laundry on the bench, and she just kept knocking it over, and I kept telling her to stop. So like by the time she got to like her third pile, I like grabbed her hand and like slapped her hand and told her not to do that, you know. And I was like, I felt like as I was sleeping and like putting her to sleep, I'm like. I, I'm I feel bad you know like I, I shouldn't have done that like I should have just maybe like screamed at the top of my lungs and just let her do it anyways you know like I, I the, that's the part in the parenting part where I'm like I don't know if I'm doing it right you know I don't know if I should have yeah, swatted her hand or not swatted it I don't know so I'm like I would say don't because you got some decent power um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say Tyler you, fingers. Tyler you can smack <laughs> any kid you want but, but, but Juliana I would say um now, now you were scheduled to fight Aspen Lad. Uh, could be, and that was supposed to be two weeks ago. Right. How, did, how did your training camp go for that? Um, it was not that great in the sense that I got, I went to the PI when I saw you and the doctors pulled me from the fight. They wanted me to get like four weeks recovery time. And so I was like, okay, cool. And so Aspen's manager came up to me and was like, asking me the most personal questions ever. Like, where are you hurt? What, when are you gonna be in the octagon ready to fight again? Uh, what would you do if you were Aspen? Do you think that we should wait for you or take another opponent? And like, just really personal questions, like asking me like exactly where I was injured and everything. And he's like, well, she's right over there working out at the PI, so I'm gonna go talk to her and I'll be right back. And I'm like, Ooh, uh, man. okay. Yeah, so the guy comes back to me and he's like, Aspen is dying to fight you. She has been working so hard to fight you and we're going to wait the four weeks and uh, we'll see you inside the octagon. We'll, we'll be ready for you when you're ready to go. So just let us know. And I'm like, okay. So I, I did the required PT. I'm ready to go. I've been training and I tell them, you know, let's fight May 2nd. And now they're telling me that they don't want to fight until like July. I'm like, okay. So I don't understand. You guys were chomping at the bit to fight me, acting like I'm a cupcake, and now you want to wait till July. I mean, that's fine because who knows what's going to happen with this whole COVID stuff anyways, and if they're going to, you know, keep pushing yeah. these fights back to a later date, so whatever. But I just thought it was really funny that they were, like, you know, looking at me like a cupcake, and then when I say I'm ready to go, now they want to wait a little, well, a lot gonna, longer. Weren't so. they trying to sue one of the referees for stopping the fight early or something because they said it was sexism? I, I, I have no idea. All I just, I just pray all she does is just make the fight and make weight. That's all I care about. Well, I mean, your last fight, they put you, you had like a three-year hiatus and they put you up against Nico, who won the Ultimate Fighter. That was not an easy fight. Um, that was a dangerous fight for you to take. And, you, and you, I thought you lost the first round, but then came back and just dominated the last two rounds. And you don't, you don't, you don't lose rounds. So what were you thinking that first round? <laughs> I got elbowed in the eye and I was like, man, like, why is she being so mean? And then I was like, at that same time, I'm like, when I got elbowed, I'm like, 
wake up, you're in a fist fight. And yeah. so I think that that is what really like woke me up and was like, all right, time to get the, the wheels turning. And, you know, I think because I took the fight on such short notice, I literally took it on three weeks. The first week was, you know, to fight in the state of California, you got to jump through a bunch of hoops. So my whole first week that I took the fight was like scheduling EKGs, MRIs, physicals and blood work. And every single day was dedicated to, you know, getting your eyes, eyes examined. And then it was never the correct eye doctor that could see me. So I had to schedule it with two other doctors. And so the first week was literally um, me just getting the medicals out of the way so that I could qualify to fight in the state of California. And then the second week was me trying to rush as much training in as possible. And then the third week was when I met my head coach. Let's see, I think the fight was on Saturday. My head coach, I met him on Tuesday. So I got like three days to train with my head coach. And I think that my timing was off. It was embarrassing. It was like all my takedowns were off. Everything was just off. And I think that that's because I took the fight on short notice. Um, but I think that once I got in there and I was like, okay, I can do this. Um, the, the familiarity of the whole situation kind of came back to me. And so, um, I was happy with the win, but I was also very embarrassed with the, the big mistakes that I made. I, I wouldn't say I was happy with the win. I, I'm, I accepted that they gave me the win, but I was not happy with my performance well, at I think, all. So I honestly thought you outclassed her. Like I think it I think that first round was a little rough, first round back, but I think over the fight you realize the level you're at. And I think honestly, I don't know why I don't, I don't want to sound as, as like a slight to you, but I feel like you don't get the credit you deserve because the Thank people you. you have beat, you you beat Kat Zingano, you beat Jessica I. Yeah. Even against Archenko, yeah. you were winning that fight till you got caught with a triangle, which she never ever showed anyone she could hit a triangle. But yeah, I mean, no armbar. Armbar, well, armbar. But everyone talks about how she's the, the goat and the greatest and this and that. But I think you were winning that fight. I mean, to me, you were. Yeah, definitely. I think I underestimated Valentina uh, 100%. I was like 17-time Muay Thai world champion. All I got to do is take her down and it's over, you know? And at that level, you can't underestimate anybody. You can't think that just because they're, you know, 17-time Muay Thai world champion that they're not versed on the ground. And I definitely yeah. thought that. I was like, get it to the ground, fight's over, you know? And, and I, I underestimated her. So I punched myself into a submission. I got overzealous. I made a mistake, but I definitely feel like I can win that fight. Um, and, and that one really hit uh, a little too close to home for me. I think that that one uh, struck a nerve that I did not like. And, uh, you know, it's definitely a rematch that I would love to do later on down the line. Uh, in the meantime, yeah, I don't think I've had any easy fights. Nico Montoyo is a world, former world champion. She won the ultimate fighter. She literally beat everyone in the house like I did. And she was kind of the dark horse that everyone slept on. And, uh, you know, she's a tough, tough girl. She's a tough fighter. Could you make 125? I can. Yeah. Um, I have fought there two times before in my professional career in my early days. Um, and I definitely think that that's a class that I can make. Um, it's just the problem is, is that I don't want to because I know what it would require. And like, I like to eat, I like to eat carbs, you know, and so I don't feel like depleting my body is, you know, mm -hmm. I know I can do it. It's just something that I don't feel like doing. But if I had to, I definitely know that I could, especially because I walk right around the weight that these girls are cutting too, you know, so okay. it's like, how is that girl making that? Like, I, I could make that for sure. Like, I know I could make it. Like I said, I've made it many times before. It's just something that I just don't really feel like doing. But if I had to, for sure. They're so funny. Like, they should be like a a show called Things That You Think Of During Fights. Because Tyler, there was one fight she was winning, but she didn't like the way her, her, like, her abs looked. So she did <laughs> the entire fight pulling her shirt down 
so you couldn't <laughs> see her abs. And then we get hit in the face. Cause There's you're something hit in the about face. that though. Like, like <laughs> if you're so comfortable in that moment that you're worried about like, oh shit, my hair's on my face or oh, like my abs, oh, I'm standing weird. People are gonna think my calves are skinny. Like. That's just what she's thinking. Like, not thinking about beating up the girl. She's like, oh my God. You're comfortable. And it's just another day at the office. It's just another day at the office. Like, uh, move out of the way this stupid punch. Like, or whatever. it's like body dysmorphia and people don't realize, she doesn't realize that she's hot. That <laughs> you're to her, she's like, mentally uh, sick. She's like that, that girl that's like, oh my God, look at me. I'm so fat. She's like 104 pounds. <laughs> No, I think a real big misconception about fighters is that they think that we're this like exterior hard shelled person that like always wants to fight all the time or that's like always overly aggressive. I think the one misconception is, is that like, I'm very sensitive and I'm very like, I'm, I'm actually more of a loving teddy bear that just wants to be loved as opposed to this person who just wants to fight all the time. Like that's my job that I have to do. And this is a sport. This is how I make money and put this, you know, food in my mouth, but it's not something that I'm like, all the time just like I'm a fighter I'll kill you you know that's like just yeah. not really who I am I feel like I'm, I'm actually more sensitive than I think that people uh think I am like they'll say like oh well, what's up bitch and I'll be like oh they think I'm a bitch like that's Damn. terrible <laughs> now, now your husband works your corner uh is that hard like are you like shut up you burn the toast or something like during the like is it hard to take instruction uh no so um I'm not married um but yeah he oh, was right. in my corner for my last fight i don't i don't necessarily uh know what's going to happen as far as corners go in the future um but no he was actually a, a a fantastic corner he literally i think that sometimes your corners get a little excited and you're getting yelled four different things from four different people. So his cue was basically yeah. just if one corner saying one thing, then just repeat that to amplify that so that I can hear what the instruction is. And he did a really great job. He, he took his instruction and he did everything that I needed. He was extremely calm. And, and I asked him, you know, like, what were you thinking? And he was like, I was literally thinking like, what are you doing in that first round? Like I was waiting for you to wake up. And then when you did, he was like, he was very calm during the whole thing. And I think that that's probably due to his uh, being a first responder and having to stay calm under high, high uh, pressure situations. Got it. But, but Rick's still there too, right? Yep. Oh, good, good, good. Hmm. Yeah, plot thickens. Adam and I know a little bit about uh about uh cornering. Yeah, we, we we coach wrestling together. By the way, this is Tyler. Tyler is a marine slash uh, amateur fighter slash wrestling coach. Um, and uh, we we're, he's a comes from a jujitsu background. Sometimes it's hard, and I'm wrestling, so he'll be like, "Pull guard," and I'm like, "No, that's not the wrong sport." <laughs> tell kids to pull guard. All right, he didn't tell that, but he'll be saying things like, "Like <laughs> I'll he, tell him like weird jujitsu wrestling stuff." Where I'm like, oh yeah, just go for the leg ride and the and the wrist control and don't worry about the pin. He's like screaming at him something else. Yeah, and then we're like fighting each other. I'm like, Tyler, shut up, go, I'm like, go in the corner. We're like fighting, uh, and the kids looking at us. They're not like, and we have kids that are yelling at their own parents. It's a, it's a very dysfunctional wrestling team, but we ended up winning. Um, now, by the way, I didn't know. You never told me your sister is a weather girl. She used to be, yeah. Before she gave up her uh, TV career and and she became a, a mom. So, but so she was the weather girl in my hometown, and then she um, moved to Seattle Bellevue area, and Microsoft is there. So whenever you would turn on your Xbox Live to like see what new games are out or see what's on Xbox Live, there'd like be a little girl that would pop up and she would you know give you the tour of what's going on in Xbox Live, and and she did that for a few years too, and then she 
decided to give up her, you know, uh, career on uh, camera to be a mom. And now she's just kind of the producer behind the scenes, behind the camera. So you guys were like the hot sisters? Were you like the hot in your town? <laughs> no, she's always been the hot sister. I've always been the black sheep of the family, but she definitely has given me so many tips and tricks. And she's actually somebody that I, I very much look up to as far as um, guidance in the, you know, the broadcasting realm. That's bullshit. It was like, it was like, yo, the Pena sisters are coming. Everyone, you know, <laughs> yeah. tuck, your, tuck your shirts in or something. No, because at that point I hadn't like really established uh, that strong of a career yet, but definitely, um, always looked at her and 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 wanted to uh, follow her footsteps as far as the broadcasting goes well you do a great job on combate i gotta say like thank you because a lot of people are like no it's you really do a great hard job. sometimes you like do say like you you bring it back to your fight it's a little personal it's like oh look at the arm bar i remember when i was in an arm bar against this girl, <laughs> like, like but like i love that but I, I do notice that you become a lot more Spanish during the broadcasting. Like you roll your R's, you put on a sombrero. Like is that is that um is that on there's like a mariachi band behind you when you're talking? Like is, is, that, is that on purpose or? Okay, so first thing, my uh my boss Campbell McLaren, he started the UFC. He's always very adamant that I hired you as my color commentator. So bring me color. I am like hiring you as the, the MMA expert. You're the only one who's been inside the octagon. So give me the angle from what it's like being mm -hmm. a fighter on the inside because you know what that's like. And he's like, right. and I hired you for color. Give me the color, bring me the color, you know? Yeah. So he kind of wants me to be a little yeah, off yeah. wall and, and not like crazy, but basically just giving it from like my perspective. I'm just having a conversation with my partner, Max Bretos. He just wants me to act like I'm having a, a normal conversation. And I right. think sometimes I need to draw the line between like being professional and like you know being a little biased I feel like sometimes and I've told talked to Campbell about that like they keep saying I'm biased and they're like I don't care like give me yeah. the color you know if it's right. drama like I want to hear it you know and so I think that that sometimes is a little difficult because you don't want to be biased but at the same time you want to you know be ob objective but it's hard sometimes because you're just like right now but do you but do you roll your R's on purpose more when you do like it seems like no is that is that not on purpose? Well, they also want us to bring the um the the vibe the vibe for combates is that we're a, a Latin American based company and we want to bring that vibe to you know the Americas and and to get people to understand, you know, our kind of uh, vibe. So for example, we don't say octagon, we say jaula because jaula in Spanish means cage. And we want the American audience to know that jaula means cage in Spanish as opposed to re referring to it as the octagon. Um, and they do want us to, you know, say more Spanish words and, and you know, salsa outsells ketchup in the United States, you know, right, people like flavor. And, oh, I love it. and um, I love it. you know, I think I, that I think Latin Americans bring that spice to no, America. Very well. For a while, I thought that you were just, for me, acting like, like I thought this is this is Juliana. Wow, this is amazing. I feel like I'm a, I'm at like a salsa party or something. Or like <laughs> salsa but it's party. a lot more funner, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot, it is a lot more funner. You do you do a great job. I I I, I like it. I'm I'm, I'm a big fan. I, I think it's good. I think you have a future. Uh, my my wife always thinks that you look like the girl from uh, all those uh, Marvel movies, uh, TV shows on on what's the one that you said they did? She stayed Eric Andre. Now she's dating Gavin. No, she's dating Cory Booker. She's an actress. You know what I'm talking about. She's oh, I know. Rose, Rosario Dawson? Yeah, Rosario Dawson. You get that a oh, lot? Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, like a more I, I know that commentating's hard and um, I'm getting better and better. I'm trying to get better and I'm really, I don't know if I should be listening to the critiques as much as I, I do, you know, oh, um, no, but no, I definitely no. think that, no, I think it's um, a lot harder than people think first off. And I just look forward to continuing to get better with the company. I think that it's awesome that they've given me an opportunity and uh, it's actually really fun. Now you, you, you're killing it, you're killing it. Now, do you think that they should have went forward with two, 249 or no? Um, I, I do just because I'm a fighter and I, I want to fight and I want to make money. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, especially with this, especially in California with as vigorous as the testing is in order to fight there. I mean, they're already jumping through tons of hoops in order to just do a regular fight. So I can imagine that they would be doing that to the extreme. For example, one of my training partners was on the card and my coach is obviously cornering him and they were like sending doctors to his house to test him for COVID to make sure that he as the corner doesn't have it and so that he's safe to, to show up. But who, I do think that, that um, you know, there's other factors that play into it. Like, for example, when we go fight on Fight Island, you know, if somebody, God forbid, their eyeball pops out of socket, like you're trapped on an island. Right. Are you really going to trust the doctors there to, you know, put your eyeball back in? Like, and I know that your eye's not going to come out of socket, but just for example, like what if something really bad happens? And, you know, sometimes these fights do end up in the emergency room. So what are you going to do when, you know, your, your, you know, your arms falling off your body. But with that being said, I definitely want to fight. I definitely think that the fight still should have went through and that there should be some sort of, um, applause for the UFC and Dana White trying to propel the sport um, at a time where the world seems or feels like it's ending. Like, I think that it would have been great for us to, you know, be a part and make that history, especially because there's no sports going on right now. People are bored. They want to watch something like yeah. it would have been for the greater good of everyone. We're just trying to keep everybody entertained, you know? So I just think that why is that a bad thing? Yeah, I agree. I'm, I agree. I think it also, you guys, it's one of those things where, I mean, you guys are fighters. So it's like, I mean, that's, that in itself is so dangerous. You know, it's not like right. golfers and you're like, you know, you're all like 75 years old. You guys are in the best yeah. possible shape. I mean, come on, give me a break. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Now, what do you think uh, these about all these girl fighters having a fans only account or only fans? Cause I think you would kill that, but I understand why you wouldn't do it. I mean, you're, you're a mother, uh, you're, you're, you have a baby daddy. But I don't, like, I don't know what, what, what is it? What is it? All right. So, uh, from, I, I never well, actually, you tell us, okay. I've never actually <laughs> ordered one, but uh, Rowdy Beck, uh, Jessica Penne, Kat Zingano had one for a second. I think she, she ended hers. Uh, they're they're having these things called husband. only fans where it's like they're, people are paying to like see their like other life, like like their life around outside of the whatever. But they're some of them are posting provocative pictures. Like Rowdy Beck, I think might be topless in a couple of her pictures. And and I guess they're making a lot of money, a lot of subscribers. That's a monthly subscription. Yeah. Oh, um, I know I know Jessica Penne is not naked, but you could watch her cook or like paint her toenails or <laughs> ride horses. And uh, I think Kat Zingano stopped her because people were mad that she wasn't posting like her nipples or something, but other fighters are being a little more. Um, now you as an attractive female, so I thought, what are your thoughts on this? How much money are they making? Yeah, <laughs> make a lot of money, <laughs> a lot of money. Yeah, like, I don't know, right now all the specials going on are like three bucks a month. 
For really? The yeah. Three bucks a like, month? No, I think it's like 20. Well, I know like Alex Nicholson has. Now guy fighters are into it now. Some guy fighters are actually doing it. Good this. luck. Good luck, fellas. Well, I don't know. There's, There's a lot of people out there. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm bored at this point. I, maybe I should check it out. But at the same time, <laughs> I, I think I'm not like as far as like being provocative and stuff like that. That's not my stick. You know, I got a kid and stuff and everyone's already on me about cussing too much and her, you know, looking back at my videos and seeing me cussing. And is that the example oh, I want to set for my daughter? So I'm already feeling the heat just with my mouth. I definitely don't think that I need any extra attention, you know, being risque and stuff like that. It's not my style. You never well, just post pictures of your feet. What was that? Huh? What? What? We know. What? Trust you, me, you don't want to see my feet. <laughs> well, there's. So, let me let me tell you this. By the way, my name hey, is Joe. I'm the co-host slash. Feet, um, dudes are very perverted and creepy, and they will pay a high penny just for the most basic picture of your feet. You know, you don't um, got to do it on special to your feet. You ain't got to no, put no makeup on your feet or nothing. They will pay a pretty penny for a picture of them toes. You get me in contact with that guy that wants to pay me the pretty penny to see these ratchet ass toes, and yep. you got a deal. By the way, it's me. It's me. Yeah. I ain't gonna lie. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, there is. I'll that, send right? you my Venmo account. <laughs> okay, hundred percent. Thank no, you. Do not, dude. Please don't do that. <laughs> like the next well, thing. One hundred percent. Expect a picture of your. Yeah. No. It's just. It's. It does seem like a lot, of, uh, but I, it also seems kind of hard because I don't see people on the Lakers doing that, or like people on like the, the like the the Astros or whoever. So, so like a so girl like Rowdy Beck, I mean, she's in Bellator. She's, uh, and I understand she needs the money. She's got a family and she, this is the way she's doing it. And right now it's not, but at the same time, it's sad that she's not as compensated as she should be for the amount of fights that she's had. You know, but you also have to remember all those other athletes are on contracts, so they're getting paid. Yeah. Like, they're all getting paid. Fighters are, are independent contractors. So it's well, like, I understand that. I just wish that do, the man? fighters were getting paid to the point where, not that like, look, if somebody sends me a picture of Rowdy Bix tits, I'm going to look at it. Uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay for it, but I'm not going to say, I'm not going to look down and be like, Oh wow, those are nice boobs. I, I'm still a human being. Uh, but, but, but I'm just saying that it just, um, this seems kind of like, uh, like I just feel bad that yeah. she, she doesn't, that she needs to do that. You know? I, I think yeah. I mean, I think that like Leslie Smith and all those other people like Alec Quinta were on to something as far as that union goes, you know, I think when we got into the athlete summit for the UFC and Kobe Bryant was the, the keynote speaker, you know, he was very, um, pushing for the fighters to make a union so that the, it could protect against things like these. So it is unfortunate. Um, uh, the kind of situation that especially women feel that they're being put into, um, obviously you got to do what you got to do. So I'm not one to judge or, or to look down on anybody for anything that they're doing to try to make a buck, you know, but it is um, one of those things where it would probably, you know, benefit us to come together as fighters and, and, and make some sort of thing so that, you know, especially when you look at the numbers like the NBA and, you know, all those other major league organizations that, you know, get a profit of, you know, a, a certain percentage of everything that's being sold. And, and us as fighters, we don't get that. We only get what we negotiate in that contract that we're fighting for then. And so it's, it's kind of something that I wish we could change. That way the future generations will be protected against these types of issues, but it is what it is. You know, um, nobody's putting a gun to our head and telling us you have to fight. No one's making us do anything that we don't want to do. So at the end of the day, I feel like it's just going to keep happening until we, we pull our heads out of our asses and decide to, you know, push forward in a different direction that would benefit and protect all of us. Now, now Juliana, you're definitely an attractive girl, fun girl. 
a lot of guys are lining up to be your boyfriend or be your baby daddy. How did this guy land you? Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, don't, I really, I think that when he very first came up to me, uh, the way that he had approached me was, was very unlike anything that anyone had done before. And I was just uh, instantly attracted to him. I right, think when I very first saw him. Yeah, what did he do? What? Tell what me did what he do? People can follow. Well, this. I was at a jujitsu tournament and he just came up to me and was like, "Excuse me, Juliana." I was like, "Yeah." And he was like, "You know, my niece and nephew are really big fans. They were wondering if they could get a picture with you." And I, I think his whole approach. I mean, honestly, this is gonna sound really corny, but like the first second that he like started talking, I was like, "That's my baby daddy. I'm gonna have that guy's kids. That's my husband." Like that's what I was thinking in my head. And so I think that I was so. Um, it was almost like one of those love at first sight type of things where I was like, I'll do whatever you want. I'll go wherever you want. Just wow. <laughs> tell me what you want me to do. I'll do it. You know, it was one of those things. So <laughs> was it now, now was it really his niece and nephew or two kids he hired to get your number? Uh, it was his niece and nephew. But when I said yes, that I would take the picture and I went to like crouch down to get next to him, they were like, no, like screamed oh. and ran away. So it was definitely just his like <laughs> ploy to like get in with me. So it was actually kind of uh, embarrassing and then really funny at the same time. <laughs> I wanted, I wanted to, cause all these hot girls are always like, when I'm with, with a baby, they're like, oh, what a cute baby. I felt like uh, you have like a baby rental service, um, like during uh, like Runyon Canyon. Oh so, yeah. By the way, we have Juliana, we have Michael Blackson joining us. You guys know Michael Blackson? Hey -o. Hell yeah, what's he up? He is one of the funniest people in the history of comedy. This dude is killing it right now. How's uh, we were on a show together on Oxygen, uh the called uh I don't know what it was called, the real comedy something. Uh, nah, it's funny. How is are that you doing, the Matasaka guy? Yes. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> So we have Michael Blackson and we have Uriah Faber joining us. A very, very talented yeah, uh, yeah. people. This is uh, the greatest podcast ever. Uh, Uriah Faber. <laughs> the greatest podcast ever. Uh, Michael Blackson, how's it going, man? Ah, uh, man, I'm good, man. I'm chilling. Just, you know, I've been lazy as comedians, man. We should be writing and doing that stuff. I've not been doing no writing. I just, because the reason why I'm thinking we're not going to be working for a while, probably... Comedy club-wise, probably like in the fall, but I mean August, whatever. As far as big venues, we're not going to see those to like late next year and cut into the health board. So it's made me lazy, you know. I don't feel like writing nothing. I'm just been chilling, just getting fat, man. But I, but I see you having Titty Tuesday and Twerking Thursday <laughs> on your Instagram. And oh yeah. I always sex always sells, man. You gotta still you still gotta entertain your audience. You don't wanna lose your audience. You know, I just had I just had Titty Tuesday by what? Freaking 30 minutes ago. And I'm gonna go. go back on live again when I'm done with you, bring on more titties. At the end of the day, we need things to laugh at. We need titties, we need asses, things to make us feel good. Amen. Uh women people love that. Now, uh you're now this is a fighting podcast. You got Uriah Faber, who's a former world champion, Juliana Pena. Ultimate Fighter winner, Michael Blackson, uh, beast of a comedian. Uh, you have a few at 50 Cent. He's always, he's always uh, putting uh, guns at you. He wants to fight you. <laughs> you owe him money from a strip club. Talk to us about that feud. Yeah, yeah, we, we straightened it out. What happened, I was at a strip club, AOD. It was AOD in, um, in somewhere in Hollywood somewhere. You know, it was, uh, he, was in, he was at the club. 
my homie. So I went out there to hang out with him. And you know, the strippers everywhere, he's throwing money. You know, I'm not me, I'm not a big fan of throwing money at strippers. You know, usually when I host a party at a strip club, whatever they pay me, I'll take some of that money and put it in strippers. But I would never take my own money, my hard-earned money, and throw it in strippers. <laughs> For what? I'm not gonna fuck you. Right. So point. Kid, you know, he saw I wasn't throwing any money. He hands me like three hundred dollars in ones. You know, I threw like a hundred dollars, and I I forgot my car was valet park, and that shit was a hundred dollars. So I put a hundred dollars in my pocket. Right. And then I also remember my fucking cable bill was due, so I put another hundred in my pocket. <laughs> and I think he noticed. He noticed. I think he noticed that I didn't throw all the money he gave. <laughs> right. When he got home. A week later, he realized that, hey, I think Mike, he went on the internet and say, I think Michael Blackson owes me money. Okay. And then, then, I, then I got on, because at that point, he was loaning everybody money, and then whoever he gave money to, he put you on blast. So he put me on blast, but recently, about two, three months ago, you know, he had his, he had his name put on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So I met him out there, and I gave him his money, and so I no longer owe him money. I gave him money on camera so everybody could see it. Right. But now, I don't owe no more money, so I'm I'm free from debt. Cheers, right. cheers. But you were all because so you, you said to him, "You're always gonna be two quarters, even though you're fifty cent." To me, you're. Always- oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I had to light his ass up, you know, because he he went up there talking shit about how much I owe him. So I started roasting him. I said, "I don't care how much money you have, you'll always be fifty cent." Right. Yeah. You're well, nothing but-, but two quarters to me. Are you ever worried about some of these? Because I know you were in a feud with Kevin Hart. Now, were you going to fight Kevin Hart? You guys in a box? No, I would, I would do it for money. That's about yeah. it. I would, yeah. I would, would not, but he would, Kevin have so much money, he wouldn't he would even waste his time. Right. And I'm, almost, I'm very certain that I would lose. What's Kevin the price? What's, how much? Huh? How much? How much, much money? for? Yeah. Uh, Kevin lives in the gym. I mean, I'm, the only time I go to the gym is to pick up my girlfriend, okay? I don't, I don't fuck with the gym <laughs> like that. Kevin lives there. If I were for Kev, I would probably need enough money to probably sit home for a year. I probably gonna need like at least a million dollars, two million. I'll fight him for a couple of mil. Right. Yeah. Uh, now, speaking of, uh, speaking of lose. amazing fighters, so you're, Uriah Faber, by the way. Uriah, you're the you're the you, Michael Blackson, Juliana, You're like the busiest guy I know. You're a UFC fighter. You own a your own team, Jim. You're a movie star. Uh, a TV star. How are you dealing with this quarantine? <laughs> Man, I've been. I went on a six and a half hour walk yesterday with my baby, and uh, just did business the whole time, and uh, getting a little chubby. I got my uh, my running stroller stolen off my porch, no. uh, so I've been able to get my workouts out of my workout outlet. But uh, other than that, just chill, man. We dropped a movie today, so I'm watching the movie. On Netflix or on uh on iTunes. Oh, nice. Now tell us the movie. I gotta say that's the best. That's an outfit right there, my man. That <laughs> old shirt. I would. I need to step up my game, man. Yeah, man. You know what? The white wine. Mm, I got you. I have this in every fucking color, man. I got you, man. What color you need? <laughs> uh, I'll start with. Uh, if you got one of those in gold or one in silver. Yeah, hold up. Let me see. Let me see. <laughs> He's going to get it. So, Uriah, tell us about the movie. 
So I'm actually watching it right now for the first time after I bought it. Motherfucker, uh, you thought I was playing? Look at the silver. Look at the, <laughs> look at the fucking black. Oh. Look at the fucking purple. Man. I got him in every fucking color, man. Hey, Juliana oh, Penn is gonna come after you, man. She's gonna wanna. Uh, she wanna be sitting right next to you, rocking those shirts with you. I can feel it now. <laughs> I want the purple. The purple. Purple for her. <laughs> purple, purple. <blurple. laughs> so you're right. What's the you're right. What's the movie called? The movie's called Green Rush. It just dropped today. Uh, our boy Andre Touchy Feely killed it. I just watched him, you know, do his thing on the big screen, and uh, you know, it was it was bought by Lionsgate, so we're we're doing the international right now. But that was national, so we had, you know, Turks and Caicos and the Bermuda Islands and Canada and the U.S. It, it drops today. Nice, Green Rush. Green Rush. It's called Green Rush. It's about a, a robbery on a on a marijuana farm out here in Northern California. Bunch of twists and turns. There's a crazy bad bad villain in there named uh, Ticker, who's got a, ta a a clock tatted on his face, and he's basically holding up, causing mayhem. And uh, you know, it's it's a great movie. We, we we're pretty proud of it. It's my first feature film, and uh, we're looking to do a bunch more. Good for you, man. And I know Michael Blackson, you're in the Coming to America too, right? Coming to America too, man. Um, and you know what? It's like, it's like my biggest movie break of all time. And now we get this bullshit-ass fucking coronavirus. Luckily for us, it's not supposed to come out till Christmas. So I'm hoping by Christmas, people are willing to go to the movie theater. You know, it's, it's going to be tough. I don't know. We'll see what happens. And before that, I'm, you expect, are, I'm in. Um, I'm in Meet the Blacks too. That was come out this summer, so we'll see what happens. But uh, but coming to America too is already wrapped. Rap been wrapped for like since um October. And it's, what's your role, oh, Michael? Yeah, I cannot wait to see that. Um, man. That's one of my favorite movies. I can't. You know what? I've been. They've been really, really strict about this. You know, um, they don't want us to talk about this at all. I got in trouble a couple of times. You know, but it is a great story. I mean, I was shocked. Whoever wrote this movie did such a great job because, mind you, this, this is not like a remake. This is a sequel. Nice. And these guys continued on from 31 years ago. That's awesome. That's awesome. You no, know, so it's like Eddie Murphy is like 30 years older. You know, now he has a wife. They have kids. You know, it's like it's it's amazing how they put the whole story together. And I can't I can't wait. You know, I, I have a pretty. You're gonna see me like three times in this movie. Um, most of my scenes are like the new faces in this movie is like Wesley Snipes and uh, Tracy Morgan, yeah. you know, and, and a few other people, you know. But they don't, they hate when we talk about this. They want they want this to be a surprise. So the, the people on the theater when they, they want them to be surprised when they watch this movie. Well, and I'm excited long, about it. Come a long way since McDonald's in Philadelphia. Well, it was actually Domino's Pizza, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your fast food wrong. Dominoes. I, I the Dominoes. Yeah, came a long way from that, you know. But uh, this movie is, is like, it's like a dream come true. When I first came to America, I think that was like probably the second movie I saw or third. You know, I was a big fan of Eddie Murphy. I started watching like Raw and Delirious and the Beverly Hill Cops, and then all of a sudden, like fast forward thirty years later, I'm in a movie with a guy that you just fucking admire your whole life so it's just a great feeling well you work your ass off man i mean you're always working uh i know you have what eight kids 
Uh, what state is this? It depends what state we're in. California. <laughs> I only claim I only claim three of them motherfuckers, man. The rest of them. Okay. I would, the rest I'll find. It's like whenever, whenever, whenever I got a movie that comes out, then I find out I have a kid. These bitches never come out till a movie come out. That works, bro. My oldest oh, child. I didn't know I had. I didn't know I had a child to the movie. My first movie was the movie Next Friday with Ice Cube and um, you know Mike Epps. And when that movie came out, I found out I have an eight-year-old daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what coming to America is gonna bring me next. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm like, I'm like, put this movie on YouTube, motherfucker, so that these bitches don't come out. <laughs> <laughs> Uriah, I was at your last fight, and I look over, and you're, I was sitting in the same row with your your baby, and I was like, "Wow, Uriah's uh, Uriah's baby mama's beautiful," and it was the grandma, it was the grandmother. Damn! Like, how how old is your wife? Like, <laughs> <laughs> she's uh, she's twenty eight now, man. Oh yeah, she's, uh, she's prime. She's ready to. To bring the bring the boy in, boy's got to be next, right? We got to bring the boy in next. There you go. <clears throat> yeah, but how old? The, the grandma's smoking hot too. She's uh, yeah, she's she's about forty, well, uh, forty nine maybe something like oh, that. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's but but my 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 girl is is uh, her mom is half Indian dots and half half white, and then and then. Jasmine's got a little bit of everything in her, so she's she's a mix. And, and my baby's, you know, Italian, African, Indian, Swedish, uh, Irish, French. She's 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 a little bit of everything. All over, yeah. Now, now, Michael, I, I sometimes I watch your, your your twerking Thursdays or when like my, my wife's not working on, on Instagram, and a couple times people are twerking and then their kids are in the background, um, <laughs> which you seem very annoyed by this. No, you know what? It's like, it's quarantine. I know everybody's home, but goddamn, tuck them little motherfuckers to sleep, man. <laughs> Put them to bed. Give them some fucking NyQuil or something. <laughs> I'm over here look, watching your ass, I'm, and I'm grabbing my baby oil, and this little baby in the fucking background. Put that little motherfucker to sleep. This is... And most of my fans are East Coast. If I'm on here at like 10 o'clock in the morning, I'm like, that's 1 a.m. Put them motherfuckers to sleep. Yeah. Just, <laughs> Cause and effect, man. You're getting the whole you're getting the whole circle. Man, I don't want the fucking family. I just want your mother, kids. Go to fuck the bed, okay? <laughs> for your mother, grandma, your older sisters. Get the rest of your motherfuckers go to sleep, okay? <laughs> Dude, it, 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 it's the best. And then you made a video where a lot of times like, you know, people want celebrities to donate money. But you right. you want the D-list celebrities, so you yeah you know and that's the thing I think a lot of time a lot of the A-list like The Rock and all these guys always contribute millions of dollars and you know the, the smaller celebrities I call them the Z-list celebrities not A-list not B-list well, I just Z either to me you're either A-list or Z-list right so I'm like yo Z-list we want to contribute too. You know, but we don't have millions of dollars to contribute. So we want to, so I, usually I make a video saying, hey, look at all these Z-listers, just contribute $50. And I would mention names, you know, I'll say names of who the Z-list are. You know, different rappers, different stuff. Who was the last one I did? Let me see, who went my Z-list? 
I know that didn't CVD get mad at you? Who? Uh, someone got mad at you, CVD or something. Who, who's the one that said like DM'd you? Like, well, why do I gotta be a, a, a Z-list celebrity? Oh yeah, like uh, um, fuck. It's a whole <laughs> bunch of them. Oh, I like the whole cast of the TV show Wildin' Out. Besides <laughs> Nick Cannon, <laughs> everybody they have a tour. There's a there's a tour with a bunch of you guys heard of the Millennium Tour? Yeah. The whole cast. <laughs> All the cast members of Love and Hip Hop, Atlanta, New York, all of them. Every athlete that plays on a big three league, the, the Ice Cube Basketball League. <laughs> just, Jesse Smollett got demoted. He's now Z-list. <laughs> I said, all you Z-listers, just contribute $50 each, OK? Uh, that I, I, I was crying when you did that, dude. That was the, one of the funniest things. It was Stevie J, right? Stevie J. Oh yeah, Stevie J. Yeah, I said Stevie J. Yeah. He 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 he. So every MMA fighter that's not Conor McGregor. So so you're right. That would work too. That, you know what? No disrespect, my brother. You know, but you are next on the Z list. Sorry, Uriah. Uriah, Uriah, your last fight. Um, for all your fights are awesome. I honestly, no, you always bring it. You never once had a boring fight. Your last fight, you were talking a lot of shit during the fight. You were like, come on, motherfucker. It was like evil Uriah. Um, really? A little bit. You're like, what, what, bitch? Like, you were, I, I, could, I could hear you cursing. There, like, was it, just, was that like, wow. a, was that one of your strategies to get him in, like, in his head or something? Or? Well, I don't think he speaks any English. Very good strategy if that was the case. <laughs> and I got rocked in the, in the second. So, was it second? Yeah. He was talking to himself. So, uh, yeah, talking to himself. Yeah, I was talking to myself. <laughs> no, I was just enjoying the process, man. I mean, really, it was like uh, I was just fucking enjoying it, man. I had a good time. I knew the guy was gonna be really, really tough. Uh, he was ranked number three in the world. He's on his big win streak, and and so I was just having fun with it, and I, and I enjoyed the whole process. I mean, even even in a loss, I I, I feel like it was a, a a good time, and and you know. Something I would do a hundred times over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember talking shit. A little bit. I was like, I was like, I thought maybe you were trying to get in his head. I may have been saying, I don't know if I threw any cuss words out, but I definitely was having a, <laughs> uh, you know, a, some good energy in there. Nah, dude, where, you, where you guys live? Where's everybody live? Where, you, where are you? I'm in Sacramento, California. Santa oh, Monica, okay. baby. You said yeah, Santa Monica? Santa Monica. And then, okay, she's, in, so and then she's in Chicago. Oh, nice. Um, Michael, have you ever gotten into a fight? Uh, let me see. Uh, my grandma, when I was younger, but years ago. <laughs> who, who won? She won, man. She cheated. <laughs> you know what? I've never, you know, I, I think I've been a comedian most of my life. So fortunately for me, I never got a chance to really get into a no fight. I've been sucker punched once. <laughs> And I don't know why you sucker punched me. You could have just whooped my ass. You probably hit me and ran. Like, you didn't have to run. You was going to win this fight. <laughs> I, I, I fight with my mouth. I just, you know, I roast you. I make people laugh at you. That's what I do. No, but I'm not. I'm not. Do you, do you have bodyguards, though? Because it seems like a, a lot of guys take shots at you. And, and you'll come back on Instagram. Like, and, then oh, yeah. you, and then you post the responses. I'm an internet thug, okay? I'm a drive-by heckler, <laughs> all right? Do you, do you have bodyguards? 
You know, I, I got I got my I call my road my road manager is actually 6'8", 330 pounds. The muffin look like Shug Knight. <laughs> Let me see if I can find a picture of this big motherfucker. Hold on. Yeah, cool. but I mean, right now he's on. Uh, he's laid off right now. <laughs> yeah, two, two for one, two for one. Yeah. Manager security. Yeah, yeah. Now nah, he's been around. Anthony, Anthony's been around for like since ooh, uh, two thousand six. So he's been around for a while, like fourteen years. Same person. Yeah. <laughs> and then what happened to your what happened to your, to your white snow bunny? You had some. Oh, my snow bunny, like man. God. You guys know Danny Banks? He was my snow bunny. She's like, a, she does those little OnlyFans pages and those Cam Soda pages. But you know what's so funny? I met her. It was a friend of hers. Snow, she has this huge ass butt, man. And it, it's just so funny <laughs> how it happened. So, me and her, how we met was a friend of hers that I liked was coming to visit me. She said, Mike, I'm going to visit you in LA. Like, me and this girl never slept together. We just been cool. We was talking about hooking up. She said, I'm going to come to LA and I'm bring my friend Danny with me. You know, you want my stage your crib. I said, sure. So first thing we do when they land, we went to the, the pool and Danny's got this fucking skimpy ass shit on. I'm like, damn. So me and Danny like took a picture and I threw it on the internet and the fucking orders went nuts. You know, it was like, it was kind of like, felt like it was like, Iced tea and cocoa and shit. That's how the picture yeah. looked with, with a more a much darker iced tea, right? <laughs> so we, we, it's like the picture's like so we put up this picture and it fucking a hundred thousand likes in like fucking three hours. Damn. I'm like, oh shit, it like this. So we did another video, just flirting with each other on the video. Another fucking a million views on this video in like fucking five hours. Jeez. I'm like, this fucking, these motherfuckers love us together. So what happened, her girlfriend that really came to see me got jealous and pissed. So she left, because she had another friend in LA. She left and went visit her friend and left Jenny and me for like five days. Ooh. <laughs> I gave her that bladder infection, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so me and Jenny started kicking off from there. We kicked it for like a good two, three months. And then I started noticing her little, I started noticing her flaws. Her biggest flaw was alcohol. This bitch gets drunk and don't know how to act. And I don't, I, and I'm not a big drinker. I'm not, you know, I, I'm always focused. I already know where I'm at. And I'm like, what are you drinking wine right now, bro? Yeah. Yeah, but it's wine. Yeah. Yeah, it's one o'clock. <laughs> but you know, it, I, it, this is for the gram. Yeah. Uh, uh, Juliana, have you ever got a bladder infection? The sex was so good, you got a bladder infection or no? Well, hysterectomy. Usually, how you get hysterectomy and bladder <laughs> infections is usually from a, either a big ass dick or an infected dick. Mine's because I have a big ass dick, motherfucker. <laughs> you heard it. Can't here, say folks. that I have. I uh, hope you don't have a big ass dick. I know, Uriah, you were notorious for being like the biggest stud in MMA for a while. Um, how did you get a girl to, to, to settle you down? Because you were on, uh, you were on fire for a long time. It was, it was the war on the street was your Oh, life. no, man. <laughs> I, it's not, a, let's not exaggerate. I did all right, but, uh, you know, I, it was timing, man. Timing, I wrapped up the career and, and found a great girl. And, uh, you know, I'd had some, some good long relationships in the midst of all the, the, the years in the limelight. So I, I was, I was testing the waters on, on, on settling down a little bit. And finally it was like, all right, go time. We got a good one. 
That's good, man. I'm no young buck anymore, buddy. Yeah, you're, I don't know, man. I like your freaking <laughs> freaking body's younger than mine. Uh, yeah, and, and, and you're still fighting. <laughs> How many more fights do you want to have? You know, I originally talked about when I turned 40, I was going to come out of retirement. Just I had this when I retired the first time and do I had four fights left in my contract. I was going to do four fights after 40 just to do it like a hat, life hack. And, you know, some people go run marathons and some people, you know, go dye their hair and get weird and uh, everything else. I, I figured I'd uh, just go make some money and have some fun fighting a bunch of young, young cats. That's why I didn't really pick and choose opponents. I'm like, all right, give me the, give me the young up and comers uh, and, the, and the next big guys. But uh, I don't know, maybe two more would be good. They're, they're good, exciting fights, but I, I don't have to, but I, I probably will, man. I, I've been having a good time in there, man. Yeah. And it will be a time when you can. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, no, I, 100%. Right now is that time. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm always, I'm always jealous, man. If I had to do it all over again, I would have stuck with college wrestling and maybe given it one fight, you know. <laughs> Hey, ask yeah, him, in Uriah, um, did uh, yeah. you, were you happy or pissed that they canceled the show in uh, the Tachi Palace? Oh, I thought it sucked. I mean, really, their plan was going to be pretty social distance. I mean, social, respecting the social distancing, aside from the two people fighting. And I mean, I mean, they have bigger things to worry about than getting a, uh, the fever and, and, uh, yeah. and a cough. The two guys fighting each other, they're trying to bash each other's brains in. So. I was thinking, yeah, this is great. It's going to happen. I heard that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed in our governors for calling Disney and, like, California calling Disney and, and, and trying to put a kibosh in the thing. Apparently, Dan is still moving forward with the island, though. I, I'll tell you what. Give me that gold shirt and a, and a, and a flight to, to, to the island. I'll be camped out for the rest of this quarantine time until Corona goes away completely. So, so Michael, uh, I'll catch you up. Walk out. Have it. Blackson, they were going to have a UFC event during the coronavirus with no crowd. They canceled it. But now Dana White's opening up a fight island where it's an island just for fighting. For real? Yeah. Where? We, nobody knows. <laughs> no, 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 nobody knows where this island is. But uh, just to catch you up. Um, I heard, I heard gotta go. Dana's going to be hiring. Gotta, gotta go. See you, Juliana. Uh, bye, Juliana. Right, that was a little All weird. Right, Juliana. That was a, that was, I, I heard they got to, uh, yeah. she's a mom. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. No, you're right. Look at right here. Michael. I got the camera. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a cutie. <clears throat> but, hey, uh, so I heard that Dana's going to, these fighters, because a lot of these fighters are, 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 are struggling for cash, they're saying that uh, he's hiring fighters to come work and build the island on top of go there and fight that's what? what somebody told me i'm like really you sure about that like go to do manual labor over there to build the coliseum and then they can go over there and train and fight and shit i'm like wow dana's really thinking outside the box in the quarantine time you know providing jobs for the guys yeah I mean, but did you hear anything about that no, I think it's a bad idea. I think you need real contractors. To do they do, but think about it, dude. Shane, if they, like Shane Carwin was a contractor, like I'm sure there Clay are Guida. contractors that are. Oh fine. yeah, Clay Guida do it. Yeah, Clay Clay Guida. you know Darren. Darren Elkins is, is a is a union pipe fitter. He's 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 been in the union for 15 years. Dude, Tarion Ware's a union electrician. I don't know if he's in the UFC anymore, but he's all right. Now, so now yeah, I can I can hump lumber. 
Yeah, hell, I mean, look, that's not a bad idea. Now that Joanna's gone, I gotta ask the real questions. Michael, I know, yeah. you're, having, I know you're having threesomes left and right. Uh, oh yeah, I still, I still have them. Are you having them during the quarantine? <laughs> oh yeah, I've had a couple already. Um, <laughs> it's a must, man. You know the thing about it? And I did, I did not want a girlfriend at all. When I broke up my lap, when I, you know Georgia, Georgia was on the show with us. Yeah. Me and her did it, we did it for four years. And one at the end of that four years, it was so bad. I said to myself, I don't ever want a girlfriend anymore. I'm tired of lying to them. I don't want to be a liar. I don't want to cheat. I want to just be free and do what the fuck I want to do. So that's where I was with it. I said, the only way I would date any girl, this girl has to be okay. She has to like girls. And she has to be okay with threesomes, even foursome, whatever amount, whatever, you know. And, and then I met a couple of girls that were down with that, you know, where like, I just, I just, I just want to be free and wild. I didn't want to be, I don't want to think about nobody's feelings. I want these girls to know when I meet a girl, I said, listen, I'm not looking for a relationship. You know, we go have a good time. We go go out. If you like girls, we'll all get together. But that's pretty much what I'm on right now. I'm done. I mean, I understand you're a happy father. You know, you're stuck him with a fucking baby like a single dad. <laughs> All right. Me, on the other hand, you know, I, look, I, let me show you something. Hold up. Let me turn this light on. Can you see this bed? Yeah. This bed is made for about five women, okay? <laughs> this is not an ordinary bed. This bed is made for threesomes and foursomes. You know, three, four big bitches and maybe 11 tiny little ones. Now, I mean, I, there's two ways I feel about this. I'm like, on one way, on one hand, I'm like, you know what? Good for you. Most men can't do this. You can. You worked your ass. You, you know, you were had a relationship. On the other hand, is there a fear of setting the bar too high, where the only thing that gets you off now are threesomes and foursomes and fivesomes, and you're not going to be able to continue this? I'm going to six and seven sums, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I keep going all the way up. You're just going to keep going. You're like, not even. But you know what? But you know the crazy thing now. When I'm now, you want something more exciting. So what I try to do is bring back like old bitches with new bitches. You know, I'm like I'm mixing it up now. Like you know, right. now I want like something I've had before, and then add it with my new girls. And I'm like, hey, this is I used to talk to this girl like three years ago. Can we fuck up? Okay. <laughs> I'm uh, wild right now. Uh, uh, Uriah, did you ever have these problems? Uh, you know, I can't remember, man. can't remember that one. But I will say that there was a time when I was legitimately dating two girls and they both knew it, it was an ex-girlfriend and a, and, a, and, a, and a girl that was newer. I was fresh out of college and it was a word. And I told them both was upfront about it. And that was, that was the worst idea ever. The worst idea ever there, you know, they had no reason to be mad, but they were competitive, and it was just made my life miserable. It, I, I don't think that. Well, what he's got going on, I did. I did have a time where I was with a long-term girlfriend and wanted to be single for, uh, you know, wasn't going to be in a relationship, but I ended up getting in a bunch of little relationships, you know, kind of in the same scenario, and uh, you know, I had no qualms during that time. It was a good time. But you know, the, the crazy thing about it is, like, right now, don't get it wrong. Right now, it's like, look right now. I got all these bitches around the world, and I'm lonely as fuck right now. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, 
when you are single, there is a lonely time in your life. You know, like, look, you got the baby, you, you know, Adam, you got something to do. And it it becomes lonely at times, but it's also like, it's just less stressful, less it's peace of mind knowing that I don't, I'm not hurting nobody's, I'm not hurting nobody because yeah. I just cannot be faithful. I have a problem. Do you ever worry that yeah. people are using you for the clout though? Cause you have like three, four million followers on Instagram and- uh, You know what, man? Hey. I use you for the pussy, man. It's even. <laughs> yeah. I thought that you were gonna say. <laughs> so, yeah, so the, oh man. Now, now you heard some. Go on. I've heard some funny people. I mean, people always ask about that. Like, how do you know someone's with you for the right reasons or whatnot? Blah blah blah. Yeah. You know, I never came from a place where it was like, you know, I was shunned and all of a sudden people are cool. You know, it's always been, you know, pretty 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 on the up and up but at the end of the day i mean you you're more likely like a girl that doesn't like people that are successful or like right you know, exactly right you can't you can't knock a girl for liking you because you're successful successful like, exactly you gotta get for liking people that are successful you know that's like, like that's like us liking a girl because she's pretty motherfucker yeah yeah right. you're not gonna be like i'm a fucking ugly bitch now um <laughs> you're on tour you were on tour with martin lawrence yes. and you're doing stadiums mm-hmm that looked like it was insane. Uh, it was, the, not only that, I was, let me, before they shut this shit down, I was on three tours. Martin Lawrence, the Nick Cannon, Wild and Out tour, and on tour with Mike Epps. I mean, I was just, duh, they shut all that shit down in a matter of like, was on our way to work when they stopped it. I mean, tickets were already sold. Damn. When they shut this shit down, you know? So that hurt it, man. Like, it was so bad, but, Performing in a stadium like that, man, is is like a dream come true, man. You know, is you know, yeah, you're sharing the stage with like a legend like Martin Lawrence, but like just getting up there and 16,000 people laughing at the same time is amazing. It's a great feeling, and I cannot wait till we get that back. Whenever that would be. Now I see that you're uh, you take these pictures with these girls afterwards. It's like you and five girls, and they're laughing, like aha, what a funny guy. But I know that you're seriously want to fuck a lot of these girls. Like, how, <laughs> how do you make the transition of like, hey, I'm not kidding. We really should go back to my place. Well, that's what that's what makes social media so easy. You could actually meet a girl, and then next thing you know, you're talking to her on social media. Yeah. You know, because I'm like I I do a lot of meets and greet after my show, and then you know if, if girls up there taking a picture of me, she's bad as hell. I'm gonna be like, you know what? Just send me a DM. You know, she's like, you're not gonna remember. I said, bitch, just the fuck I'm gonna remember. Just send me this DM. In fact, DM me right now while we're taking this picture. You know, so it is social media has made it so easy, so fucking easy, man, to like connect with people. It's not even hard anymore. You ever worry that somebody goes trying to get pregnant and have your baby and take some of your money? Uh, I, I will find out when Come to America comes out. <laughs> <laughs> when a new movie comes out, I get a new baby. It's gonna be three of them. Hey, that's the, that's the you, get, you get a new baby every movie. At least you know it's kind of like a, a trickling effect. You know, you make some money on the movie, then you get a new baby, then you make a new movie, get another baby. At least they're being considered. Build an empire. Now, what I like about could you imagine if they all came in at once? Oh my god! Oh, that would suck, man. I'll stop doing movies. <laughs> what I like about all three of you guys, though, Uriah, uh, Tyler, Blackson. You guys didn't wait for anyone to help you out. Like Michael Blackson, you know, you were you were getting some success via the industry. But you did it all yourself. Did it on and, my own, man. 
and all these people were making memes about you, making fun of you. And rather than get angry, you reposted them. Yeah. And uh, and it was the it's the funniest shit I've I, I go through your your whole thing and I'm like this is and some of those people are, are they should be working for like Sony. They're the funniest. <laughs> they're they're, they're funny as hell. And you know and that's you know what's the thing when you when you interact with your fans you get so much good shit. I mean if like a person like Kevin Martin, um, uh, fucking apps. If all those guys, those comedians, interacted to their with their fans, talk to their fans. Like you know, they don't they don't open DMs from them. I open up so much messages from my fans, and I get so much material from them, you know. And what I do, I encourage them by posting it, leaving their names out there, or tagging them. That would make the next fan want to do something else as well. So yeah. they make my life so easy. Whenever I want material, I just go in my DM and get it. <laughs> Smart. It's it's amazing. Smart business man. Smart. So amazing. these guys are like my ghost writers. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, dude. I was I, I I opened up for you at the Laugh Factory, and Mayweather was in the crowd. Floyd Mayweather. Oh, yeah. Mayweather's a big fan, so he became a fan. Um, the first time he saw me perform was the um during the Shaquille O'Neal All Star Comedy Jam. So what Shaq would do is every All NBA All Star weekend, he'll do a big comedy show and he'll film it. So I remember we did in New York. We did a show at the Madison Square Garden in New York, and um, he was in the front row. That's the first time he saw me perform. And even with, and then um, I didn't see him again to the Martin Lawrence tour two years ago at, in LA at the um, Microsoft. So after that show, I think I posted a picture of like, hey, thanks LA for coming out. He made a comment like, he said, Mike, today I became a fan. And he followed me on, on Instagram. And since then we've been buddies. Every time I'm performing, this, if this guy's within, if he's with, if it's between Vegas and LA and I'm doing a show, he would buy 30 tickets and bring all his homies to the show. Dude, he, he was there. He had, a, he had a woman, he had like three hot girls around him. One girl's whole job was to massage his head for two hours. The whole time. The, the entire time he was getting. <laughs> I, was, I was like, this that's is a big session. That was, it was unbelievable. And then. Nah, uh, I'm fucking Floyd, man. He's my homie. I went to Vegas. I did a comedy club one time and he bought another fucking 30 tickets, brought all his crew. Love that guy to death, man. He showed me so much love. That's awesome. And then how'd you get that job as Manny Pacquiao's translator? All right, man, that was fucking hilarious. So um, um, how did this happen? Fuck. How did I end up over, the, oh, nah, Jim Gray. Yeah. You got to know Jim Gray, right? Yeah. Me and Jim, Jim became a fan. Jim saw me performing at, as back at, he saw me perform at the Barclays Center during the Martin Lawrence tour two years ago. And he was there with his guys and he saw me perform. And then next thing, next thing you know, I'm doing an improv in LA. And I look in the front, this guy's in the front row, cracking the hell up. So after the show, he comes up, he's like, hey man, I'm a big fan. I saw you in New York. He was with the boxing promoter, I forgot his name. Bob the guy that promoted a lot of um, Floyd's, Floyd matches, not Floyd, Pacquiao. He promoted a lot of those big fights. He said they were all together to saw me perform in New York. He said it became fans. So he started following me. I mean, he became really, really cool after that. So he's the one that connected me with Pacquiao and everything else. Yeah, you got me that gig with him and Jim Gray for that, like, he's like, <laughs> he, Michael Baxton texts me, hey, you want to do a show tonight? I'll pay you a little money. It's for some rich white guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, it's the guy who started uh, tequila with George Clooney. And in yes. the crowd is Deontay Wilder, Jim Gray, 
every the head of UTA, the head of WME, the head of Netflix, the the it was like everybody. It was like the Oscars. I, I was yeah. like, he tells me some rich white guy. I was like, what? <laughs> and then and then I, I was supposed to do five minutes, but Michael's like an hour late, so I ended up doing forty five minutes. It was like it was the best. It couldn't have went better. I, I got I got so much work out of that, man. I thank you That's so good. much. That nah, was that, that was so cool of you to do that, man. That's fucking awesome. Nah, I fucked you, and you got me. You got me to present an award at the. MMA, at award. MMA awards. Remember? That was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. You made a joke about Mayweather. You, you like couldn't I read love, it. My, I hope you didn't see that fucking joke, man. That shit was fucking. No, uh, and, then, and then Uriah is a good. I actually wrote a sketch for Uriah because Uriah is known, obviously, uh, for being an amazing fighter. But he has the best butt chin in the history of MMA. <laughs> oh, that he does. So, I wrote a song as the weekend. But it says, I'm a star boy. It's, I got a butt chin. My chin can twerk. And his chin started twerking. <laughs> and it fucking murdered. It was like, everyone loved it. Thank you, for, oh, thank you Raya, for that. My poor, my poor girl, she's all, what the hell? I can't remember. It was a bunch of shit. Uh, it was pretty good. Right. Uh, thank, thank you for that, man. This <laughs> chin speaks for itself. Dude, that chin's unbelievable. <laughs> the, the one meme you have where the... Uh, where the chin is an actual vagina, and uh, that's a yeah. That was a. Uh, I gotta, I gotta actually make some of those. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. Uh, it's hilarious. Well, listen. The favorite candy they call it. Listen, I took up some of so you guys' time. What do you? Where can people follow you guys? Where can people support you guys? Just you ride favorite on everything. Check out Green Rush. It's out today. Uh, Lionsgate uh, is is our partner on it, and. Um, it's a, it's a good watch, but Uriah favor on Twitter, on Instagram, and all that good stuff. And Michael? Uh, for those who went to a public school, my name is my social media, at M-I-C-H-A-E-L-B-L-A-C-K-S-O-N. Let me spell it for those who went to public schools. M-I-C-H-A-E-L-B-L-A-C-K-S-O-N. That's my Instagram, my Twitter, my Christian mango, when black people meet, <laughs> my tender. Those are all my accounts. Just at Michael Blackson. Have, have, you ever been, have you ever tried Soul Swipe? No, no. It's, it's like a, it's like Tinder for Black people. It's called. No, Soul you are Swipe. married, man. Why are you know <laughs> oh, those fucking sites? No, I'm just. I, I heard about it though. I just heard it's about material. It. Material. <laughs> oh, it's like a right. Tinder for Black people. Yeah, it's called Soul Swipe. And like, and like little little Rel has a joke about it. When you swipe, it goes hell no, hell no. <laughs> Is it real? Is it a real place? Yeah, Soul Swipe. Oh wow! Yeah, I, I don't, I don't do those dating sites, man. Well, listen. By the way, Michael, you know, there's a bunch of great UFC fighters from Africa right now. Well, now nah, they're doing good. I went to one. Oh my God, the kid from Nigeria. He fought. He fought the guy. He fought that black guy that was supposed to be really, really good. It was just in Vegas. Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva. Yes, I was at that fight. That was a good fight, man. Was it like was, it was the weekend of March 2nd of last year. It was a year ago. Yeah. It was March 2nd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Israel, I, I, I signed a style vendor. So, I mean, now, do the, do the black, uh, do the, the fighters from Africa, do they reach out to you? Because you're like a hero to the... To the you know Africans. what? Not, but he saw me the fight. You know, he was like, you know, I started looking at his face. He was happy that I was there. But... Um, I know there's one, there might be, is there one from Ghana also? Ghana, uh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Cameroon. I know they're mostly Nigerians. I know that. I know there's a few Nigerians. Francis Francis Ngannou is from Cameroon. Cameroon. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, I have, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna look into those guys a little bit more and try to find out. You know, but they are definitely coming out the woodwork now. They're, they're starting to um, you know, get into this whole fighting thing. So yep. I think the cool thing about it, because back at home, being a kid, the way you guys fight now reminds of how we fought as kids back home. You know, it's like more like a combination of tackling and a couple of yeah. like tripping, you know, comp it's not like, you know, when I came to America, guys put their hands up to fight you. Yeah. You know, back in Africa, when I was a kid, we fought all kinds of ways. We'll grab you by your leg and drop you, you know, but in America, like I'm going to move to the hood, you know, they don't do much of that. It's just more like square you square up to fight, you know? So I guess finally the Africans realized, hey, we used to do this back home. Let's fight. Let's go make money now. <laughs> Uriah, meanwhile, Uriah was raised by like hippies. Like his parents were like, right. yeah, he's at a yeah, whole religious hippies. I, I was naked for the, you know, until about five. And, yeah, peace loving hippies and, and all that good stuff. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> oh, here. I love Vista, bro. Naked hey, buddy. five. That's that's awesome. Um, well, listen, thank both of you guys. I know you guys are super busy and, and you guys are stars and uh, I, I can't thank you guys enough for coming on this podcast and being such good friends. Uh, no, no. Uh, stay healthy, both of you. All right, boss. All right, guys. Take, Take care, care man. man. All right. yeah. Yeah. Yeah.